rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So this week's episode, I think, is very near and dear to both Richard and I's hearts because Kaddish, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, Kaddish, takes place in Brooklyn, takes place in Williamsburg, New York, a place that neither of us ever lived because it was entirely too expensive (laughs) for either of us to live there by the time we lived in New York. Yeah. Uh, But nevertheless, we did spend some time there. So it's really funny. This is like, uh, so what is this, 97? So this is, you know maybe four or five years before it really started to heavily gentrify and how different the neighborhood is now. But yeah, it was, I really, and obviously this isn't the real Williamsburg. This is still Vancouver, but yeah, yeah, I really liked this episode. Um, I wasn't sure if you were going to or not. No, I, 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 it worked for me. I mean, well, we'll I didn't like, I liked this episode a lot more than uh, Unrequited. You know, obviously we'll talk about this, but I don't know. This, you know, the second I saw it was Jews, I thought, okay, it's either going to be a Dybbuk or a Golem, and it was a Golem. And, you know, I love Golem stories. That's great. Um, And I felt it was one, you know, again, the X-Files shows us these pockets of American life, uh, and this is certainly a pocket of American life. This is its own... uh, subculture um i thought that the you know the, the the social issues that it's bringing up are very were very striking and were very in a way prescient isn't quite the word but it's something that certainly we are still dealing with uh in society so, you know steve bannon would not have been in the white house if you know th- if these elements were not still in society and i don't know i rather liked it yeah, I mean, I, I like this episode, too, and I, I always feel like this is a, a throwback episode to, uh, you know, it really does feel like a season one or season two episode in a lot of ways. It, it it has almost none of the hallmarks of the sort of self-aware, self-referential, humorous X-Files that has really been become, uh, you know, part and parcel of the show, even in smaller episodes like, say, Sanguinarium, for instance, which had its tongue in cheek a lot more than a lot of season one or season two X-Files episodes. I mean, you could take this episode, put it in season one, and I don't think anyone would really notice any difference aside from the hairstyles and perhaps the higher budget. Yeah. Uh, And I think some of that is also true of, of uh, the next episode as well. But what I always struggle with, with this episode is that I think that the X-Files does subcultures much better than it does the larger culture Mm. because it's a show that's very interested in subcultures and it finds these subcultures that a lot of people don't know about or don't understand. Yeah. I mean, I think to something like humbug, for example, the, the sort of subculture of, of circus uh, sideshow people um, or this episode, the, the subculture of, of Orthodox Jews living in, 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 you know, Williamsburg in, in Brooklyn. And, you know, in a certain sense, you could take this episode in two different directions and say that the the Jews in this episode are the problem. And I don't, a, I don't know if you could actually do that. I don't know if that anyone would react well to that, even in even in the nineties. Although maybe people would react well to it now, uh, because you know yeah. we live in white supremacy again, um, but or open white supremacy, I should say. Because I was going to say, part of what I'm getting from this episode is no, that that's still there. Uh, you know, I I I think in a 
to a degree, people would be more surprised by the white supremacist elements in this episode uh, than they would be today. It it feels very. I don't want to use the word charming because that's completely the wrong huh. word, but. I almost want to use the word charming because, yes, it's terrible, certainly, but at the same time, I mean, aside from the fact that the three uh, teenagers murdered Isaac Loria, which, which, you know, puts the events of this episode uh, forward, it, it does kind of feel very sort of it's it's not well it's the guy who is uh the voice of white supremacy in this episode is some dude in a shitty copy shop who is photocopying these really crappy leaflets and just kind of distributing them door to door what do we have now we have big budget we have breitbart we have you know big budget websites which disseminate this information nationally even globally uh which have a lot of money behind them which have a lot of again this guy's a coffee shop owner what is steve bannon you know he is somebody who does have power and i i it's quaint i guess in that sense just because this is so this is so tiny this particular thing this guy is a crank this guy is you know uh nobody yeah, I think I think that's that's a better way to put it. Quaint is a better way to put it because it does feel quaint. I mean, this guy has and I think in the next episode as well, you see that with the guy who says, oh, well, I have 2000 names on my mailing list. And you kind of think to yourself, yeah. oh, honey, like, you know, just wait 20 years, you'll be doing a lot better. And but to some degree, I think it is it is quaint because it it makes the X-Files in a very particular time and place that. You know, the tone of this episode is so interesting to me because it's very, very heavy. And yeah. the X-Files can can do that sometimes, of course, and can do it very well. And it, it, it sells it in this episode because the precipitating events of the creation of the Gollum are so horrible. Yeah. And... I mean, you know, this is an episode which is dealing with the Holocaust, which is dealing with anti-Semitism, which is dealing with uh, the death of somebody's loved one in a hate crime. In a way, that kind of, you know, hip self-referential jokiness would be really, like, would be really disrespectful to the events in there. You know, this is not – it's one thing to – you know, be poking fun at your own show. It's another to be poking fun at stuff that's very real. And, you know, in a way, this part of this episode seems like, you know, what is the point of this episode? Whoever wrote this episode wanted people to be really sure that and understand that white supremacy is a thing. Yeah, that anti-Semitism is a thing and that I guess it's okay for the Jews to fight back. I mean, it seems like a strange well, thing to to say, but it's it's it, it, it's because there is a cup a little bit of lip service to you know well, you know this is something going on on both sides. Somebody does have that line, but um you know, and there is the part when they you know talk about the father's background and you know they say well he was a terrorist. Um, at the same time, one understands that they are backed against the wall and what other options do they have? And I think it is softened by the fact that the golem is not created as an instrument of vengeance, that vengeance is something that does happen because of the circumstances of its creation, but that even in the best of intentions, this is a woman who just wants to get back to her life, who just wants to, uh, 
you know, live normally, who wants to get married to the guy she loves. Like, this is why the golem is created in this episode, not because, you know, he was murdered and now we want him. But that's just something that happens because that is such a strong because everything is so corrupted by this crime at the beginning. Yeah, but isn't that I mean, isn't that really the the ultimate uh, the ultimate goal of white supremacy or anti-Semitism? I mean, isn't yeah. that the ultimate goal of of what those people are trying to do? That was the ultimate goal of the the Holocaust in a sense was to completely eradicate their yeah. way of life or a way of life to make and it impossible I, I to think... just do the normal stuff of mundanity. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I certainly think that you're you're correct that, you know, her um, and I, I didn't write down her name. I feel bad. Ariel. Uh, Ariel. Yeah, I, I feel like Ariel's you're right that Ariel's motivation in creating the Gollum was to both mourn the loss of the life that she was about to have mm-hmm. mourn her her now dead husband and to to you know, essentially punish the the men who did this. I don't think she was thinking about it in terms of I need to protect myself from anti-Semitism or yeah. anything like that. But but well, why did they murder Isaac Loria? They murdered him because they didn't like Jewish people. So you know, it it, it it's kind of hard to to parse yeah. the two and separate the two. And also, we need you know, it's very. There is also a lot of extraordinary symbolic weight placed behind this marriage. Um, the bit where she's talking about this ring and she's saying, you know, this was, you know, our village. We had, you know, whenever anybody got married, they would wear this ring. And it was a, you know, it's the sign of the tradition in this village of their community and all of that. That was destroyed in the Holocaust. That was something that, you know, even though the father smuggled the ring to the United States when he moved, um... He kept it hidden. Now that she's getting married, he is he wants her to wear this ring and he is reviving this tradition. In a way, this is symbolically reviving the village. This is symbolically reviving that community. This is symbolically saying that that persecution happened, but now it's over. And now this again, this this act of hatred at the beginning demonstrates that no, this is still very much there. This community is still broken. And so you know, creation, creating the golem and attempting to go through the marriage ceremony with it becomes a very desperate attempt to, in a way, defy that hate crime by saying, no, this community still exists, this marriage still happens. Now, of course, yeah, there are, you know, things muddying that, in other words, literal mud, but... Yeah, and I, we we should talk about the golem as well because I also find the golem a, a fascinating bit of of, of mysticism. But it, it, in terms of the, the of the the symbolism of the the marriage and the symbolism of the ring and, and what that represents, you know, I, I, I the one thing I don't understand is because they do mention briefly that uh, I, you know that um, uh, 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 they do mention briefly that that Jacob was a, was a terrorist. I don't really yeah. get what he was a terrorist for. Israel, I guess, but I don't. I, that's the part of it I don't really understand. And the episode doesn't. It, it kind of is a throwaway line that it never really explains. I don't know if that was more understood in the nineties from what. Yeah, nineties. I, I don't know. I mean, my understanding uh, of the history is very fuzzy, but you also get the sense it's terrorist in the sense of that's what it is legally but he's somebody who's trying to protect the newly formed state of israel in post-holocaust life 
And yeah, that that could certainly be the case. And and I that think was the that, sense. Um, yeah, I got from it again that he's somebody who has blood on his hands, but it was done protective. It's not like he's you know just randomly blowing people up. Yeah, certainly. But uh, you know, I think that it it, it also ties into. Um, you know, questions of of community in terms of because the Orthodox Jewish community in, in in Brooklyn was was there before the Holocaust. This, you know, it, it it was not there after the Holocaust. It did not arise as a result of the Holocaust. It is it is a group that is you know older than that, and of course, some of the uh, you know members of that uh, community yeah. or their descendants moved there after the Holocaust or during the Holocaust. They escaped, but it does have roots going back to I believe the 19th century so you know it, it, there is kind of a continuation there and even not a longer continuation than the village that that jacob you know had to flee from of yeah. course because that that village probably had a jewish community going back hundreds of years uh and, and certainly brooklyn didn't exist hundreds of years yeah. ago um but it is it is nice that the the result of the ring coming back is is almost a rebirth for that community in a way, and that's yeah. really what it represents. It represents, and that's what uh, uh, his death, the beginning of the episode, represents. It it represents the sort of death of the rebirth of that community, and I think that's why Jacob is so upset by it. Yeah, and an- another reason why his his daughter is so upset by it as well. Yeah, she recognizes the the weight of that, and she is somebody who is again. She's excited for this marriage, not only because of her personal feelings, but because of what this represents to everybody. Yeah, certainly. And I think you see that, too. I mean, the episode does nicely. uh, You know, once again, I think this goes more towards the idea that the X-Files is much better at subcultures that primarily feature white people because... Uh, they they it, they have a good understanding of of Jewish tradition. They have a good understanding of uh, you know Jewish um, mourning rituals, for example. Yes. Uh, you know the the fact that these two FBI agents, one of which is a woman, coming into this place with her HUD uncovered. Uh, you know the this is not um, this is not normal for them, and this is not something that they would really see as appropriate. And yeah. there's this strange undercurrent, especially in that first scene when Mulder and Scully go to that, uh, go to that apartment when they're in mourning, that all the sort, of, all the men there are looking at them, and there, there's there's a little bit of tension in the air, and I think that, you know, that scene when Jacob talks to them in the bedroom with his daughter there, and and really just, I mean, reams them out essentially, yeah. and it's so nicely done because I think that really is the sense you get. I mean. That community in Brooklyn actually has been, you know, that that is a source of tension in Brooklyn. Yeah. It has been a source of tension for for years. I mean, this is not something made up for the episode. They they mentioned that the area has had a history of racial tension and that that case that Scully mentions is actually true. I, I remember about 10 years ago when when sort of North Williamsburg was, was really starting to gentrify and, and the gentrification was spreading away from Williamsburg. Because the other thing about Williamsburg, too, is it, it's a pretty... It's not a tiny neighborhood by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's not one of the larger neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And um, there's Williamsburg and there's South Williamsburg that that kind of is part of it, but kind of not. And um, South Williamsburg is always the more the more heavily uh, Orthodox section, and uh, it's also the one that had more of the racial tension. Mm-hmm. So essentially. Um, there, I remember this thing happening a few years ago where they put in these bike lanes 
and uh, women were riding through and Orthodox Jews were essentially like telling them not to ride their bikes through there because they weren't covered and it was immodest. Yeah. And, you know, all of these uh, all of these women, these young women were sort of saying, like, do we live in a theocracy? Like, what is going on here? And all of the um, I remember all the politicians in, in New York were kind of like, well, you know, I mean, uh, these uh, people have been here for a long time and who can say what, you know, there, there, and, there are things to be said about the gender politics in the Orthodox Jewish community that we will not even touch. But yes, that this episode certainly has some resonances. This episode is aware of them, let's put it. Yeah, and that's what I really wanted to well, – that's why I wanted to say that because it, yeah. the, the episode is aware of those gender politics. And, you know, Ariel is, I don't think, a, a strong presence in the episode. In a lot of ways, this is Jacob's episode until the very end of it when it is revealed that Ariel did this and the very, you know, final shot, um, you know, of her with the golem and rubbing out the, the letter – uh, as well, which is a nice callback to the middle of the episode, and I don't know how true that is or not. I don't know if that's my, you know, the way it is. But my understanding is that the Emmet being erased into Met uh, is part of the lore. I believe, from what I've heard, it was writing it on the forehead of the golem. Although for okay. uh, for the image in this episode, I think it was shifted to be, you know. To, to to more directly reflect the marriage ceremony, certainly. So you know that that's. Again, during my you know my understanding of it, that's the bit that was shifted. But otherwise, that is the legend of it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that it makes sense too in terms of tenderness, holding hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, they shifted so it guess, to make a more striking image. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should briefly touch on the golem then, because it is kind of an interesting mythological creation, and I, I don't know that it's one a lot of people know about. So you seem to know something about it. Do you want to give a, a brief overview of it? Uh, well, the most famous golem is the golem of Prague, which was uh, you know, cr- created during a time of a lot of accusations of blood libel, which is essentially that the Jews eat babies. Um, obviously, anti-Semitism has had a lot of very bizarre forms and has been going on for a very long time. Um, and apparently one ra- uh, rabbi, and I forget his name, but... Uh, I believe based on a real fellow, although, you know, did he really create this thing? Obviously, that's the legend part of it. Um, Again, created a golem to uh, protect the city of Prague from the people who would uh, persecute the Jews. But um, one of the major facets of the golem myth is, as they say in this episode, that ultimately it will rebel against uh, maybe the people it's trying to protect. It is something that is... um, I mean, I could go into Hebrew mysticism about Ruach and the breath of life and all of that. and uh, But, you know, basically in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, you know, God creates a man out of clay and breathes life into it. And that is Adam, the first man. Um, yeah. The golem is a very similar kind of a thing, except one animated by humanity and therefore – you know, since humanity is not perfect and God is, uh, humanity's creation is going to be imperfect. Um, it is, you know, th- they mention the phrase, um, the, the, they mention the phrase uh, body without spirit. That is essentially what it is. It is not alive in the sense that you or I are considered to be alive. It does not have, um, I'm not really sure what the Jewish conception of souls is. I know it's different than in Catholicism, but it doesn't have a soul in that kind same sense. Um, yeah, I think they use the word, uh, I think they use the term 
spirit in this episode yes. or animating force or something like that. Yeah. Um, we're reaching the limits of my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I just wanted to, to give that yeah. overview because I think it's important because this is something that, uh, you know, I don't know that a lot of people know about. And it, it does, I think, tie into the point of the episode as well that, you know, that the golem is so interesting to me because it essentially is an instrument of vengeance. It's a, a very mm-hmm. blunt instrument of vengeance. It's not something that is used for it can be used for protection, but well, it's like it, in a way, it's like you train out a big mean attack dog to you know protect your home. But uh, and yes, the dog is going to bark. The dog is going to attack anybody who comes into your home. But you have a friend come over unexpectedly. The dog will attack him. If the dog is hungry, it'll attack you. It's that kind of a thing. Right. I mean, this is this is the difference between, you know, say an attack dog and I guess a security system, right? Like, yeah, the, the golem is the attack dog. The, the golem is not the security system. And so I think that's what's so so interesting about the way it's used in this episode, because it does take the form of, uh, uh, you know, the, the dead Isaac as well, which I, I don't know if that's part of the golem myth i don't think it is but i I could be wrong about that and that just adds another layer of pathos to it of course yeah 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 um i really liked that effect at the end by the way of it crumbling into dust that was again you said a bigger budget like that was a really nice special effect on that yeah that was done very nicely and i I think the end of the episode is yes i think the you know the X-Files, I don't know, gets enough credit for it, the endings of its episodes because it, it does a really good job of being ambiguous while still yeah. feeling final. And that 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 shot is a perfect example of that. Partially, I want to talk about the copy shop owner a little bit um, you know, sure. or a little bit more because, again, we – I loved the scene when he's like – talking to the kid and the kid is like well we actually did something you just sit here and you know and you know the copy shop guy is all like flustered he's like i'm just trying to spread the word i'm trying to do what he do and it's almost like he's shocked that they've taken his words into action you know i mean how many people online are just saying like well we're just talking we're just you know free spread of ideas you know we're not advocating violence but when you are you know, putting out pamphlets that literally say, you know, only through blood can the Jewish scourge be cleansed. Like, what the fuck are you expecting? You know, that's, yeah. the, you know, he's, uh, uh, it's weird to say that he's almost naive, but in a way he is, I I think for the copy shop owner, anti-Semitism is kind of a game. And, you know, just as, in some ways, maybe creating the golem isn't something that Ariel did with the 100% understanding of what they were doing. And yet both of them, I mean, you know, that's actually an interesting bit of parallelism in the episode. Both of them create monsters while kind of just doing something just to do it. And then, yeah, know, yeah. And then I think that's right. And in a sense, they, they both create monsters that they, they can't control yeah. and have no ability to stop, really. I mean, uh, Certainly, the the um, Ariel in this episode, she is able to stop the golem, of course, but uh, that's only by the fact that um, I mean, I don't even know why she can do that. Really, I mean, the golem. He does uh, the 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 one guy that they're talking to, who was explaining what the severe it's the fear is. Um, you know, he does say that the golem is animated by very primitive emotions, and so yes, hatred and anger and all of that, but also love. I mean, that is a very 
base emotion in many ways. And so at that, you know, in that ending scene, it is animated by love for her. And so she, you know, he is not going to attack her. Going out from never again, this is a case that Scully brings to the table. And I think that's really interesting. That is true. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that, but but she does seem to be maybe directing their their work a little more. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it is, you know, as we were saying, it's, you know, inappropriate in some ways for her to be leading a charge through, you know, a synagogue. But on the other hand, like, this is her case. Mulder, you know, after their interaction in Never Again, Mulder is following what she says. She's the one who's interested in this. She's the one who is bringing it up given that it has ties to religion you know that certainly would be something that she would it would pike her curiosity um so yeah good observation thank All right, you well i think we'll you're welcome Let's move on to Unrequited, but before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you that this podcast is listener-supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of your money each and every month, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. We have some reward tiers, and uh, if you like our work and want to support it, please do so. Okay, we'll talk about Unrequited now, which um, I think is just okay. Yeah, I was, I was a little bored in this episode. I have like three times as many notes for uh for Kadish as I do this um it's it's a fine episode of the X-Files and again part of it is I did watch these two episodes one after another and the first one was much more striking but the first one also had much more defined characters the first one had much more of a sense of place. The first one gave more of a sense of what its monster was. Um, the first one had a bigger uh, connection to some larger themes. Um, this one just felt—I don't know—it was it was just kind of boring. Well, the the I agree with you that it's kind of boring. There isn't really much to it, and the the characters that are in it are all sort of just kind of there except for Nathaniel Teeger and, and he just kind of does that weird bug eye thing and doesn't yeah. really emote at all. Um, he seems kind of vacant and I, I, th- I think that's intentional, but it, I don't know that it works necessarily. Yeah. And part of my issue with this episode is that it is just sort of a bog standard X-Files story that is kind of half baked and it's half baked in two ways. One, it's trying to cover up for the fact that it, isn't very dynamic of a story yeah. by, uh, you know, using the the now uh, a very very overblown device of in media race. Uh, and the second part that is annoying me is that it it introduces this idea that there are you know POWs from Viet the Vietnam War that are still uh, being held, and the government has has written them off, and it doesn't do anything yeah. with that idea. It doesn't no one seems to even really care like Mulder doesn't seem to care Scully doesn't seem to care Skinner the one who would be the one who is the actual Vietnam vet in here doesn't really seem to care yeah you know Skinner is not going home after this episode and working to figure out what's going on with these missing POWs 
It yeah, it just it just seems to me like the the very last shot of the episode, of course, is is a little bit. I, I'm I'm being a little you know uh, hard on the episode because the very last scene of the episode does feature Mulder and Skinner talking about it, and Mulder does give Skinner a little bit of a hard time about it, and he does say to Skinner outright, you know, I think. I thought you of all people yeah. would be more interested in, in this information because of course the, un, the unstated subtext there is that Skinner served in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, he literally but, says, you know, sir, that could be you, you know, it, another flip of the dice and Skinner would have been caught and be a POW and could still be there. It is, you know, bad odds. Good odds gave Skinner his job here. Now, whether fighting aliens and dealing with Mulder is a good thing, you know, or not is up for debate, but yeah. It certainly is up for debate. Uh, although I don't know, I think Skinner likes his life fine. Um, but really, the, the the thing is, like, why? Like, what is what is the point? What is this trying to say? I mean, uh, like, you know, okay. I mean, yes, there is an episode to be made out of the fact that the soldiers who fought in Vietnam went to a war that is now generally considered unjust and at the very least considered to be a a poor idea or at least poorly managed as a campaign um and they came back they were called baby killers they were all that and you know even now how many vets are on the street you know with untreated illnesses and you know mental and physical due to their time from there i mean these are very real issues um and I guess in some ways the whole, well, there are POWs who are still out there, is a way of creating a symbolic version of that. But I don't know. I feel like there are better ways of doing it. This is a fine idea that could have been done better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. But I mean, I, and certainly I think that the whole Vietnam vets being treated poorly, you know, being homeless, all that sort of stuff was was much more... Uh, uh, much more prevalent in the culture in the 90s i I think yeah because these guys were in their 40s at the time yeah right like at this point in the time period that we are in in the year 2018 we are what 35 years no more than that 45 years out from the the last you know american troops leaving vietnam so it's not really like this is a big deal for anybody who's alive i mean i'm not trying to i'm not trying to uh downplay or undercut or or minimize um their struggles at all but it's just not that important anymore to a lot of people because frankly you know we have fought uh several other very dangerous wars on other mm-hmm. fronts at this point and there are other things going on um in the world that are uh, overshadowing the, the plight of vietnam veterans um but it's 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 like talking about somebody who fought in afghanistan post 9-11 like that is something for us which is more uh m- which exists more more importantly um you know or somebody yeah. who was in iraq recently you know certainly I, I mean let's face it we're about as far from this episode as this episode was from the end of vietnam yes that is true um but i think that like for me what it comes down to is that it, it's a very sort of half-assed attempt at, at some sort of parallelism or commentary on that because I guess, like you said, and I'll just spin that out a little bit further, this episode seems to be trying to make some sort of, of symbolic 
point about the ways in which Vietnam veterans were treated by the average American when they came back from Vietnam. They were held responsible personally and as a group mm-hmm. for the the actions of our government. And, you know, let's not forget that um, most of them were drafted and had no choice in going, uh, which makes it even worse. I mean, you know, say what you want about Afghanistan and all the other uh, conflicts and wars that America has been involved in since Vietnam. uh, We have not had a a draft uh, in a long time. Uh, And none of those soldiers fighting in those those wars were drafted. so, you know, I guess you could really say that uh, if you disagree with the Afghanistan or Iraq wars, uh, you could hold them more responsible for their actions than Vietnam. Uh, although, actually. to be fair, how many people signed up for the military because what other options do they have? How are they going to pay for college? How are they going to, you know, get job training? How are they going to? I mean, there are there are economic and social reasons to join the military that don't have to do with the war. And then suddenly a war breaks out and you have to go. Yes, I am not arguing that at all. Yeah, that, is, that is that is a real thing. But and so I guess the episode was trying to make some sort of point about the, the invisibility and the bad treatment of Vietnam veterans coming back from America and saying, oh, well, actually, it was the government the whole time because the government wrote off all these POWs in Vietnam and covered it up and, you know, didn't care. And you're like, but here's I okay. guess I guess what I don't get about this episode is I'm having trouble understanding Everybody, everybody's motivation. So you have these three or four generals, and the fact that I can't give you a count is a problem. But you have these three or four generals. <laughs> There's three of them. Okay, you have these three generals who know about these missing POWs who are still there. Who are you know they they have information about it. They've orchestrated a cover up on that. Okay, um, the uh, Trigger or whatever his name is is killing them to get retribution for what they've done for their cover-ups and all of that. Okay, fine. Except at some point, we're told that this information is starting to go out and that these three generals are about to be subpoenaed or go before Congress or something like that. Uh, This is what Linda Lovelace tells Mulder at one point. And so in some way, if Trigger hadn't done anything, if he just, you know, stayed at home these three generals would have eventually been questioned or whatever, and this stuff would have been brought to light. Because, remember, at one point, uh, they find out that the reason they've been put on this case is because they don't expect to be found out. And so, you know, the government kind of wants these three guys dead, and so Trigger is doing their dirty work for them. Like, yeah, why does nobody try to explain to him, like, listen, you know, these people, you know, the the truth is going to come out. That's what you want more than, you know, more than your revenge. You want these guys coming home. Yeah. I mean, I I could argue minor points against that, that, you know, reading of events. But frankly, I, I don't really want to and I don't really care because it doesn't it doesn't really matter in a lot of ways. This episode is just X-Files paint by numbers where some vague mysteries happen and some vague government conspiracies are uncovered, but none of it really makes a whole lot of sense. And the more you look at it, uh, the more it falls apart. And and that would all be fine if the episode was was entertaining yeah. but or, or interesting to watch for some reason, but it's not really. And... You know, it, it all again. That's why I keep going back to the the framing device the episode uses because it's it's hiding the fact that 
what is happening is is fundamentally not very interesting. It's it's trying to create drama where there isn't any. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm more worried about the fact that there are still some POWs out there, apparently. Yeah, and I mean, again, I just don't... Why would the government cover that up? Yeah, I mean, it's implied that they're doing it to prevent embarrassment because they uh, said that there were no more, but... I don't know. Don't you think you get to be more of a hero if you say, you know, we found some more and, you know, this is great and these actually were the I don't know. Like, yeah, I I agree with you. And I I, I guess that's the motivation, although I don't think the episode makes that clear at all. And And, I I don't uh, buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. I mean, I think that the one thing the government would never do is that. Yeah. I think that the government is capable of and willing to do a lot of terrible things. I don't think it's capable of leaving POWs behind for 40 years. Yeah, especially in... Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's not like the war is still going on, you know, if they were. Well, I mean, certainly I think the war is no longer going on. But at the same time, it was a very embarrassing moment for the American military because they lost. Yeah. And I, I guess perhaps some of that is, is in there as well or, or baked into the concept of this episode. But and maybe, again, this is just a matter of we are too yeah. far removed from the Vietnam War at this point to uh really care about it and i i don't mean that i don't i don't mean to be sarcastic i don't mean that to sound well, sarcastic but it's like worrying about the korean war or world war Two. like it's history at this point you know it's yeah. uh, you know it, again we've moved on to other scandals in some ways and <laughs> you know again we're removed enough that Let's be brutally honest. Anybody who was a prisoner of war in 1997 is not a prisoner of war in 2017 because they have since died, right? Like that's yeah. Let's be brutal so. about I mean, that. But it's possible that there's some of them are still alive if the if the events of this episode were actually true. But yeah, uh, I don't really think they would be getting the finest medical care or any. Uh, medical care at all I, I don't really think that they would be eating very well i don't think that they would be uh getting much exercise or uh, their emotional well-being would not be very good so yeah i think most of them would be dead at this point and but i also don't you know and my other question is i don't know much about vietnam's current governmental situation like would these pow camps still be set up who's taking who's running them i don't know <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know anything about Vietnam. I mean, I I, I fully will admit what I don't know. And uh, the the current state of the cultural and sociological and governmental actions of, of Vietnam, I have, I have no idea about at all. Uh, I don't think so, but who knows? Um, well, let's talk about Nathaniel then. And I don't think that there's – this is not going to be an extensive conversation because another reason why this episode doesn't work, I think, is because of Nathaniel and the fact that the, the fact that the character is essentially a blank box with no emotions and no real understandable yeah. motivation. Yeah, he either kills somebody or – you know, see somebody that he's, you know, the widow of his one friend or the other guy that he used to serve with says some cryptic things and then vanishes. I mean, that that's who he is. That's it. And that's who he is. And, and maybe that's the 
point. I don't know. Maybe he's supposed to stand in for the yeah, ever- he, march, the march of time or something. He is an elemental. Really work. He's an elemental force in some way, sure. But I mean, Isaac the Golem was a an elemental force, and he was a much more interesting character. I don't know. Do you really think that the Gollum was a more interesting character than Nathaniel Tinker? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm not going to question that. Um, uh, well, I don't because fairly agree, but well, because because of what the Gollum elicits in the people around him. Again, the Gollum is somebody who is capable of having Ariel's big scene at the end, right? Like that's something. Uh, who does Nathaniel? Uh, uh, elicit a big reaction from yeah true nobody well i guess he does to the the generals he kills but uh aside from that no yeah. or, or skinner skinner seems very involved in it but skinner seems very involved in it because he's pissed off all the time and <laughs> uh doesn't want to deal with this frankly i mean skinner's entire thursday and friday went to shit because of this mm-hmm. he just really wanted to go to that diner have his little <laughs> french dip and uh go home do you think he still goes there? I, I wouldn't think so. I, I mean, that's kind of a that's a PTSD sort of situation. That's a trigger for him. I would think. <laughs> I don't know. I I I I I think he really likes what he eats there. It's probably around the corner from his house, and they're not going to attack him there again. Where is he going to go? What other diner is going to take him? I don't know. So the last thing I guess we should talk about uh, before we wrap this episode up is the entire thing about the right hand and the paramilitary organization yeah. and the guy and he gets arrested and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I don't have anything to say about it, really. I just want to say that um, it, it's just another example of how this episode is just trying to do a grab bag of stuff that doesn't really connect very well with anything. You know, they, they say that they're, they're, they're fighting against the American government because they're corrupt but they're helping to get American POWs back, I guess, because they're patriots. Yeah. Uh, but then Nathaniel Teeger disappears, and they don't know who he is, but then they do know who he is, and they arrest the guy for some reason, and it all just feels very sort of paint-by-numbers. I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to yeah. for me is that this feels like a paint-by-numbers X-Files episode. Well, yeah, again, both of these episodes could have been earlier episodes, other than uh, us learning, I think, in season three that, you know, Skinner had been a vet. I mean, this could have been a season two episode, and you just have explained it in one line. Oh, Skinner, you served in Vietnam, right? Oh, yes, I did. It was horrible. You know, it was the shit. Um, and that's all you, you know, that that's all the background you need for this episode. Um, again, except that... Uh, Again, except that Kaddish had a had a point, had an animating passion to it, had something to say, had a reason to exist. I mean, this is this is your filler episode. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's it. This is the very definition of a filler episode. Yeah. Although I will say that to this episode's credit, it does contain uh, one of the finest Scully uh, uh, put downs or burns of all time. Uh, you know, when Mulder is very sort of half-assedly giving his explanation for how Nathaniel Teeger could be invisible and says that uh, some I- some I- some information that Scully has uncovered about blind spots in the human eye, <laughs> and Scully says that is conjecture, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I think we'll call that an episode. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. 
Again, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcasts tuning in. This week, we released an episode on the Star Trek Voyager episodes, Year of Hell Part 2 and Random Thoughts. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're in all those places. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes, Apple Podcast review for tuning in. It is the best way for new fans to find us. All right. Are you ready, Richard? No. It's time for more mythology. I said I was not ready. Well, get ready. Next week, we're going to be talking about the episodes Tempest Fugit and Max. Mac, why do you...